What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets, download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health Services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI, it's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, friends, and welcome to this golf podcast, unlike any other. Yes, my friends, we have done it. We are back. This is your old friends from Fairway Rollin', the golf podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House, joined by my incomparable accomplice, our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground, Nathan Hubbard, my birdie buddies. We also have a guest today. I'm not sure if you took note, but the Live Tour wrapped up its first complete regular season this weekend and felt like a good time to check in on the state of the disunion between the PGA Tour and Live and all things happening in Live. We have Coming to us from the Wall Street Journal, Andrew Beaton joining us. But first, the Nate Dog and I, as a two-ball, we're strolling out there. The leaf rule is in effect. Let's get this thing going. Nate Dog, how you doing, buddy? It's the FedEx Cup fall, House. 
That's about how I'm doing. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> Neat. Yay. Oh, Yay. it's so fun. Yeah, it's fun. Um, you know, the thing is, we've actually had some interesting, fun endings to tournaments and a few things here and there, but it, it's been a wash. The, 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 football, the football just takes over, doesn't it, House? It is undeniable that it takes over, and it feels right. I think it is correct. I don't have any argument with it. It should take over. It does take over. Um, we'll let golf figure itself out for the fall or not. And maybe there will be, you know, occasional moments of interest in professional golf along the way. But we we have had, uh, you know, in, in, the, in these handful of weeks um, since the Ryder Cup, a couple of very good winners um, winning and, and, you know, taking down meaningful victories for each of them in circumstances that are, you know, perhaps if you want to like forecast how 2024 is going to go booing their, their, their chances. We're talking about Tom Kim defending his title at the Shriners by dropping a 62 66 over the weekend. And then that was two weeks ago. Most recently, Colin Morikawa in Japan winning the Zozo Nathan, that was his first win of any sort since the 2021 British Open. I was kind of shocked when I was doing the research on that. He had, of course, a victory on the DP World Tour, but that's not the PGA Tour, and that's not the a, a major tournament. It was the whatever the season-ending thing on the DP World Tour in Dubai. Um, and that was potentially the springboard into his 2023 season, Colin Morikawa, as he was on the back nine at the Century in Hawaii, six strokes up on John Rahm, and then collapsed down that stretch and ran into headwinds over the entirety of, of the balance of this calendar year. He had missed cuts at several of the elevated events, and some of the skill set that he'd shown us looked like it had abandoned him at different points in time. And he was emotional, Nate Dog, after uh, winning Zozo. The press conference was kind of touching, huh? I think some of his you know, rumors of his demise had been somewhat exaggerated. He has still been one of the best ball strikers on tour. He struggled a bit, again, around the greens, which we've well-documented. He'd struggled to close, but I mean, speaking of headwinds, there, it was blowing 40 miles an hour on Friday in Japan, and uh, he managed to sort of weather that storm. And I think if if you woke up on Sunday, you weren't exactly sure who was going to pull this out. I mean, there's a part of me that felt strongly that Eric Cole was going to win this golf tournament. He finished T3 at Shiners, so he came in playing excellent golf, and this guy's going to qualify for the Masters. I think he's going to play his way into the top 50. But uh, it wasn't to be for Eric Cole finishing even, and Morikawa just separated. I mean, a six-stroke lead a six-stroke win when when you started the day not in the lead is is pretty damn impressive. And I, yeah, I think I think look, this is a guy who you win the two majors early and you think, all right, here he goes. He's on his way. It was him, it was Wolf, it was Victor who all came in. And up until this week, you would have said, Wow, Matt Wolf has basically disappeared if you talk to Brooks Kepka. Morikawa has struggled and just can't seem to 
capitalize on being that guy. And then maybe you start to look back and go, well, the PGA, he won. There wasn't anybody there and took an amazing drive on the drivable par four in the open. Okay, he won, but was that in dominating fashion? You know, you can start to put the doubts in your mind for sure, especially given what we've seen from Victor of late in his ability to close. But I, I, I don't know. I also just want to be clear. This was not a massive strength of field event. I mean, the guys that he beat are Eric Cole and Bo Hostler and Robbie Shelton and Ishikawa and so on and so forth. So I, it, it, this is not like this was an absolute uh, dominating field. And that's what it's going to be for Morikawa. He's got to go head to head with the best guys in the sport and start to show that fire that got him those two majors. It does, for me, um, clean up a season of apparent disrepair, right? Sure. Because um, I expressed my skepticism around his uh, Ryder Cup, what I forecasted for him in the Ryder Cup, and um, he didn't exactly cover himself in glory. He was fine, but he he, he was uh, not, you know, stellar. It wasn't like, hey, remember who I am. I'm Colin Epping Morikawa. So this this is a a, a great um, win and such a great stage. Victor by absolutely um, jumped over Colin in in the young guy sweepstakes. There's no two ways yeah. about it. I mean, you know what Victor? He's in a different class right now. Well, he he is. I mean, if you just look at Colin's season, there were only two events where he lost strokes on approach, and he averaged almost a stroke gained on approach all season. I mean, he lost strokes in the travelers. He lost strokes in the open on approach. You'd say the same thing off the tee where there were only two round, two uh, tournaments where he lost strokes off the tee. It's just around the green was, you know, up and down. And it just, the, the putter has just befuddled the guy. It just, he's gotten absolutely crushed. He gained over two shots on approach at Wells Fargo. He lost almost two and a half with the putter. And, no surprise, he got cut, right? Across the board this year, that's been the club that's kept him from tucking in victories. But it is that crisp approach game and relative consistency off the tee that's why you saw him tie for six at the Tour Championship, T2 in Detroit. You know, way earlier in the season, you know, he had that run coming off century. He was second there. He was third at Farmers. And we thought, all right, here we go. He gets cut in Phoenix, T6 at Genesis. You think, all right, maybe we're going to see something out of him. He just was not able to put the ball in the hole from the green. Yeah, that that's exactly right. So uh, I'm happy to have this win because I like it when the best guys are entering the season more informed th- th- than not. And I do feel like, you know, the, the there's a belt sitting up there, the best golfer, the best American golfer in the world belt, because Scotty, Scotty has kind of left it sitting up there. It's kind of sitting out there. Um, I do want to make sure that we talk about your experience in Las Vegas with with Tom Kim. I mean, not directly with Tom Kim, but you were in Vegas. You were boots on the ground. And uh, congrats to Tom for defending his Shriners title. Congrats to him. He had top tens at both the U.S. Open and the British Open. This was his first full season on the PGA Tour when you and I were together in January of 2023. I speculated, you know, is he is what what kind of season might we see from him? It was a a, a learning season. It was a, a learning process for him for sure. But look at this, you know, the the talent shines through 
Again, you know, to your point about the strength of field at uh, Zozo in Japan, same thing at, at Shriners. Not not exactly an incandescent field. He's not beating uh, back, you know, the top 10 players in the world. No. But it, you go and defend a title, you defend a title, and that's it. That's the answer. Yeah. Right? I, I think I think that's right. And coming into the season, we had really high expectations because of what he had done to gain membership, getting two wins at the back part of last year, one during the regular season and then and then one at Shriners in the fall. It, it was a he was just kind of stuck in neutral. It felt through a ton of the season. Then suddenly we saw him look, he played Masters okay. He was T16 at the Masters, but then he was missing a couple cuts and doing nothing. Showed up at the US Open T8 and we thought, okay, maybe here we go. But then he gets cut in Detroit at Rocket Mortgage, and you're like, all right, what's happening? Here's how he finished the season. T6 at Scottish, T2 at the Open Championship, 24th in FedEx, 10th at BMW, 20th at Tour, 18th BMW PGA. He played a tournament in France, T6, and then he wins Shriners. So he was top 25, really top 10s in a bunch of those tournaments coming towards the back part of the season. Really, once he came over and got to the open and played that tournament well, it, it, it was guns a-blazing. So he's clearly figured something out. And like you say, it, it's going to be fun if these young guns come into the season all in form to, to watch these guys start in January. Now, I do think that's going to be the question, though, House, as we now are going to, you know, listen, there's three more tournaments in the fall. There's Tigers, Hit and Giggle. But really, a lot of these guys, including one Justin Thomas, who we have not seen in the FedEx Cup fall, interestingly, a lot of these guys are taking a break right now. And we're going to find out whether the conventional wisdom that some of these golfers had that Liv used to exploit and pull guys away and say, listen, we're going to give you a full off season where you can rest and recuperate and recover. And, and PGA Tour changed the season to start in January, didn't they, House? We're going to figure out whether that matters because there's guys this fall. It's not a coincidence. I don't think Sahith Tagala wins in Napa. Did not have to be there. Already qualified for the big events, having been there in the top 30. Wanted to be there to figure out how to win. Tom Kim, again, he had he, his game was trending in the right direction. Wanted to be there. Didn't have to be. Got the win. Colin Morikawa wanted to be there, get in front of those great fans in Japan, got the win. Eric Cole does not have to be there, but he's going to win Rookie of the Year. He's trying to play his way into the Masters. Uh, you know, He's showing up at these tournaments. I'm fascinated to see if some of these American golfers who performed just okay in the Ryder Cup, uh, and you and I talked about whether there was a little too much of delay and, and the Europeans played the BMW all together, it's going to be interesting to see how these Americans hit the ground running in January, having had all of this time off. Well, it, it is fun that the Euros do have what feels like, you know, a, the decided advantage, the head start. We're expecting to see Rom and 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 Rory and Victor at the top of of leaderboards, and the you know who has the belt on the American side is going to be part of our 2024 conversation i want yep. to make sure because you were in vegas and got to oh, experience yeah. it we need to talk live. about lexi we gotta yeah. talk about lexi we yes, do we do because that there wasn't a ton of energy around the entirety of the event but i have to tell you there was a ton of energy around lexi hmm. and it, it, it was a weird start to the tournament on that thursday morning the wind was blowing 25 30 and it was cold 
And the guys who got the morning draw really had a tough go of it. Lexi had an afternoon draw and it was a little bit easier. But you know, there have been six other women, I believe, who've played PGA Tour events. And as you can imagine over the course of time, the the responsiveness to that has been mixed. But boy, was there a buzz. In the clubhouse, as people saw Lexi playing on Thursday and Friday, the players in player dining were watching and cheering her on. On the range, the players were there. The crowds were there for Lexi. I mean, she was the story. I think there was some uh, unfortunate stones thrown by very remote, you know, sections of Twitter golf saying, oh, she's taking somebody's spot. She was not taking somebody's spot. She was there on a sponsor exemption. And thank God she was there because she created some level of interest in an event that, you know, unfortunately, because of the changes in the schedule, has been a little flat on a course that otherwise is pretty cool. Coming down the stretch, you got drivable par four, you've got scorable par fives and threes. It's it's a really fun, anything can happen down the stretch tournament, which is what we saw, you know, Tom Tom Kim take advantage of. But the energy was great for Lexi. I hope we, and you and I both were like, I don't know, she hadn't been playing great. She came in playing a little bit well, not unlike Tom Kim. So maybe we should have seen it coming, but she really held her own and outperformed a lot of guys. And I think, under potentially different circumstances, she really could have made the cut. There was a moment where you felt like she had a chance to do it. And I'm telling you, everybody on the course and the players were pulling for her, which was great to see. I, I was literally online, you know, enjoying the cut sweat myself because God forbid the Golf Channel show it live as it effing happened. It's just your product, Golf Channel and PGA Tour. It's just your product. You had the great idea. Somebody had the great idea to let her go ahead and compete. God effing forbid that we get to see her in circumstances where there really was a legit chance to make history. Um, I really enjoyed watching it from my uh, 17-inch computer monitor. It yeah, was the fe- awesome. The featured, the featured group, I know. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Tor, as usual. But look, man, this is the we, we talked about this when we were sizing up the tournament and her role in it, this is exactly what the tour should be doing with these events. There should be experimentation in the More fall. Of it. And, what the and, hell? Why not? Right. Well, let, let's, have the mix, let's have the mix. Let's have the mix. Yes. Men, women playing together. Right. Because they, it's very clear they can do it. Lexi played better than almost half of that field. Amazing. And like, let's get crazy with the format. Let's do, you know, four ball and foursomes and that team team competition and all of it, right? Alternate shot and, and you know, f- force them, everything. Do it all, right? I, I just think it, it is one of the only sports, you know, where, where the handicap system is in place to level the playing field for all. I'm going to play with my brother on Saturday. We are not the same level of golf, <laughs> but we are going to be able to gamble and it's going to be interesting and it's going to have a competitive match. And it's not because of our genders. It's because of the handicap system. So uh, it, it is something that I really think the tour has got to take a look at in particular, because at this moment in time, Lexi Thompson is not even close to the best female golfer on the tour right now. I mean, she struggled to keep her card this year. Uh, so, you know, if you want, let's let's pull in the rest of the major winners from the year. Let's pull in, uh, you know, let's let's pull in Lee. Let's pull in Lee. Uh, just there has been a host of uh, of excellence on the women's side that I think it's really time to start showcasing because 
to be totally honest, they're just outside of Lexi. There wasn't a ton of buzz on that course. It's Vegas and people were barely, you know, people were more interested in the sphere on what, you know, emoji was blinking from the sphere than they were who was winning the golf tournament. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Well, the tour, I'm sure, will eventually get around to figuring it out and doing absolutely the right thing, but it has some bigger stuff to sort out here, Nate Dog. And I want to bring in our guest. He covers sports and chess and chess fraud for the Wall Street Journal. He's been breaking stories all year about uh, originally the fracas between the PGA Tour and, and Live Golf, and now the potential unholy alliance. Welcome in, Andrew Beaton. How you doing, bud? I'm good. I think we're all trying to figure out what's coming in this, right? That That's literally the thing. Now, I want to start with your experience at the Ryder Cup because we had some murmurs this week. Not Nothing that, that I would call aftershocks. They were tiny tremors, but there continues to be, as is always the case when the U.S. loses at the Ryder Cup, you know, some, some sort of knock-on uh, stories. This week's stories. Lucas Glover claims that he heard uh, from real authorities on the matter that there was indeed some disagreements inside the U.S. team room, disharmony potentially. Uh, Xander Shoffley tried to keep clean up his his father's uh, vomit mess. And Rory and Joe LaCava had a drink together. So those, I, I think, are the, the, the headlines post Ryder Cup. Let's start with Lucas Glover's bit. Um, and you were you were on the grounds uh, in Rome, right? I was on the grounds in Rome, and I guess my takeaway is: would it all at all be surprising if there were tensions within the U.S. team? That wouldn't be shocking at all. But I think while everyone tries to look for explanations here and there, 
To me, it boils down to something a lot simpler. If you look at the way the European players were playing going into the Ryder Cup, that was a bunch of really hot golfers. And they were all in really good form. And we can debate about locker room divisions and what have you. But, you know, the guy who's supposedly part of that, Patrick Cantley, he goes out there and has one of the biggest moments, right? And you look at just the way Victor Hovland was playing down the stretch and so many of the European players. I mean, if you weren't a, a big golf fan, you n- might not have heard of uh, Ludwig Aberg before this. But on the other hand, are we all, at all surprised if he's a top 20 golfer when we're having this conversation next year? Not at all. So to me, it just sort of boiled down to European players were hot and playing really well. Is there something unique to the American team that creates that division? I mean, we didn't hear this coming out of the ladies' locker room at the Solheim Cup. Like, <laughs> Nelly and Lilivu weren't going at each other. Like, is there something related to the American men that you think is inherent to this? Is it just that they don't have the culture and the reverence for the event? Or... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because if even if you think back a little while, there's questions about, you know, whether t- guys like Tiger and Phil had reverence for the event, if you go back to the 90s. But I also think there's just something to European players kind of have this beautiful, well-balanced mix in their games these days, where they grew up in Europe playing on these European courses, but they also now come to college in the U.S., are very familiar with the tracks here. And we used to talk about the European players as these soft hitters who could sort of figure out their way to dink and dunk their way to birdies and pars. But look at who some of the biggest drivers are. They're Rory McIlroy, they're John Rahm, they're Victor Hovland. So they've kind of, I think, just cultivated this great mix on their team that I think has a versatility that the Americans don't necessarily match. Yeah, I argued with Nate, um, both in the run-ups of the Ryder Cup and, and after the Ryder Cup, around the U.S. preparation. And, you know, there's two elements to that. There was a a long break between the last time most of the U.S. guys played competitive golf and the Ryder Cup. And there also was not um, any indication that the U.S. team all came over, you know, in sufficient time to play multiple kind of practice rounds together. And, you know, we, we, uh, I think, Nate and I came to kind of agreement that unless the U.S. guys um, sort of reach the, the the place where they're willing to come over two and a half weeks early and do some of the sort of the mini loops, the round, the competitive grind stuff in, in Europe, that we're probably going to be at a disadvantage um, on European soil going forward because it's, it's just like there is a natural home field advantage, I think, Andrew. And you talk about going over two and a half weeks early. Look at what percentage of the European team played in last year's Italian Cup at this same golf course. It's something like four of the 12 golfers finished in the top eight of that tournament. So granted, they are better than the standard fair European tour players, but also they're not thinking about this making a scouting visit a couple weeks in advance. They were playing this course a year in advance. And that's not even just their players. You had Eduardo and Dodo Molinari in the field. So oh, if you think about the preparation, I think we should be thinking about this over a longer term scale for the American team. You think there's any solve to it, though? I mean, I, I guess a number of the Europeans actually live in America, so maybe that takes away some of our home field advantage. But right now, the, the chatter coming out of this Ryder Cup, you know, we should talk about Xander and cleaning up his dad's comments uh, on the side. But it, it, the chatter coming out was really 
you're almost expected now to win this thing at home. It's not even as big of an accomplishment to win it at home. The real question, and it was Max Homa who articulated this well. He's like, yeah, we want to win in two years, but I am coming for you in four years. I want to win on foreign soil. So are there significant changes other than showing up and doing the work and getting there and fighting through the jet lag that you think the Americans need to be thinking about for four years from now? Or is is there something, you know, do they need to blow up the team chemistry or the way that they put these things together? Were the analytics wrong? How do you think the Americans position themselves in particular to try to win on foreign soil in four years? And is it the same formula for Europe in two? Well, I think Rory McIlroy actually articulated this really well at the tournament where he said, the hardest feat in the sport these days is winning an away Ryder Cup. And, you know, that was also a pat on back the back to themselves because they're the guys who won. They're the guys who have won on U.S. soil in recent times. But I think they probably have to be looking at everything. I mean, the Europeans were not shy about their analytical department and everything Dodo Molinari is doing beforehand. And also, I think there's probably just been some comfort in the team selection for the U.S. because we've seen familiar names be trotted out there year after year. There are people who have won majors. There are people who we inherently, I think, trust to go out there and play. But were they necessarily the best people in the best form this time around? I'm not sure. And I think when you talk about how in form the European players looked, it looked like that wasn't something the Americans were living up to. So I think you have to be looking at team selection, not in terms of just talent, but also who's hot. Well, let's talk about the Xander cleanup comments then. What do you make of him doing the rounds and getting out there publicly trying to let a little bit of the air out of the balloon from what his dad said. Um, what do you make of, of the general sentiment there? Do you think there is this faction that feels like, hey, if there's money to be made, it should either go to our charities or to us, but not into the pockets of organizers of the event? Does that feel like the, the essence of the argument that, that Xander's dad was making, that Xander was cleaning up? Do you feel like there's any daylight between the two of them. I, Xander did make an effort, though, to sort of walk it back a bit, didn't he? He did. But I also think those comments pointed toward the tension that has underpinned golf for the last year, but also right. the last few years, right? right? Which is that there's this money flowing into the game, and are the players getting the right share of it? Yeah. And so while we're talking about this in terms of the Ryder Cup, you can't talk about this without thinking about live golf and thinking about everything Live Golf disrupted with its model. And granted, this is not Saudi Arabian money we're talking about with the Ryder Cup, but these are play athletes, professional athletes, going to a sporting event and putting on an event that makes a lot of money for TV networks, for the host organizers. They're selling loads of tickets. So is it a ridiculous question to be talking about how that money is divided? I don't think it's unfair at all. Um, as for the cleanup effort, I think that sort of comes with the territory of when you have a father who can be out there and a little bit brash, you know, we've seen uh, the LeVar balls of the world be happy to talk. And I'm not saying that's what we're dealing with in the Shoffley family, but you're also dealing with someone who is not afraid to put himself out there in the way that other parents of tour players tend to be. We're definitely dealing with the LeVar. <laughs> what are you talking I mean, about? He is he, the LeVar ball of is. the tour. That's exactly right. I love it. Man, man Bon Stefan, do your thing, Stefan. And anyway, um, I have this very important question to pose to you. If 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 a golf tour has its season-ending tournament uh, and nobody 
sees it and nobody hears it. Did, did it happen? Did, did, did the Lilith tour, uh, you know, finale actually take place? There are news reports that say so. There was virtually nobody on the grounds. Uh, the former president of the United States who owns the place and tried to charge them five million bucks to be there. He couldn't show up. Um, but apparently a team called the Crushers won it. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop now. Um, let, let's just sort of take stock of where we are with this, with this live thing, if we might, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, first of all, my heartfelt apologies to all the Range Goats fans out there. I know it was a huge letdown. Um, it's okay. It's just, okay. Gooch apparently won the season title, I think. So maybe that's a plus? I don't know. Hey, this is this is team golf now. This We're, we're focused on the teams here. Um, but yeah, does the tree fall in a forest? There's a lot of money at stake. But one of the things Liv has just struggled to do since its inception is attract eyeballs. And I think one of the questions that has existed in everyone's mind once the framework agreement was agreed to was by doing business with Liv, the PGA Tour in a way was kind of removing the Saudi stink that had hovered over all of this because they all of a sudden pivoted from, oh my God, would never do business with such people to, oh, we're doing business with those people. Um, And so would that change the public perception? And to me, I still, I have friends who are golf nuts and they're watching the tour on a weekly basis and there isn't much buzz about an event with an extraordinary amount of money on the line and also a lot of big name golfers. So I don't know if it's the type of thing that it just needs natural time or if it's just struggling to gain traction because people aren't turning on picks 11 to watch their golf action. It just, it just feels not good. And, and and it just does not feel like a product for which there is a ton of demand, which is what we had been concerned about all along, which is that separating out the best players in an already uh, small, relatively small audience sport was going to just dilute the product for everyone. I will say, though, that there is no question, uh, you know, Bryson and his team won. Bryson shot a 58 on a golf course this year. Bryson played decent in the majors. Brooks Kepka won a PGA. There are good players over there. There are also some dog shit players over there. You can say the same for the PGA Tour at the moment. Greg Norman was out and about. He was present, but not, you know, not in the face. But there, there continues to be this stubbornness around the format. And I know you've got some views on the World Golf Rankings decision to not award points to live. It is clear that Liv could potentially make some changes to their format to make it more palatable to the World Golf Rankings so that their players could in turn be ranked and so that a good player like Taylor Gooch, who right now is not going to qualify for any of the majors, could in fact do that. Certainly there's no fan pushback against it because there are no fans. So what has to happen here for the legitimately decent players who made the decision to go over there to get a chance to play against the other best players of the world uh, in the world in the majors four times a year, which now are going to really be the penultimate, you know, the, the, the ultimate tests of, of golf. You know, it's this funny thing where I don't think any of us thought too critically about a golf body in Surrey, England until all of this popped up. And mm-hmm. now all of a sudden, the official world golf rankings are the secretive body that we're all obsessed with their formula and their criteria. And 
I've left all of this concluding that both sides are kind of right and both sides are kind of wrong because Liv fairly says that if you're not going to count these events, your ranking simply won't reflect the best golfers in the world. And that's true. true. Taylor Gooch is higher than he should, is lower than he should be. Excuse me. Dustin Johnson. Pretty much every one of these guys should be higher because they're playing in golf events that are not accruing rankings points. On the other hand, it's extraordinarily complicated to figure out how you do the math and fairly quantify what a live event should be and how you quantify individually when players are also playing for a team. And at the and even if live got points, if you just start to think about this rationally, the, they would be a fraction of the points of a PGA Tour event. So even if they got points, if you reasonably think about this, it would be a fraction because on the one hand, as you said, there's good players and there's a lot of really poor players. Yeah. So the strength of field would not be great. It's good to have Brooks Kepka. It's bad to have Chase Kepka. Is the manifestation of that over the next year that the majors are going to rethink who they let in? Like, shouldn't the majors have a few, you know, wild card picks such that Taylor Gooch and a couple other guys from the Live Tour actually play the Masters? Isn't that in the Masters' interest? Do you see that happening? I think it's in everyone's best interest to see that happen because I think something we saw with the designated events is that something like that was long overdue because what makes the majors the majors isn't just that there are four awesome tournaments. It's that historically, they're the four tournaments where all the best golfers showed up. So that meant we were watching the best of the best. And on a week-to-week basis on the tour, we were not seeing that. And we're definitely not seeing that now that there's this divide. But if you're the master's, I think it does it start to become a tricky thing if we say we're going to give five live people invites. That could be thorny, but as you said, wild card bids could they announce that they get a certain number of sponsor exemptions? Yeah, I mean they arbitrarily let in a lot of different amateurs. They give themselves the leeway to make those invites. It wouldn't be too far afield at this point for them to rise above it and say, "Hey, we want the green jacket to go to the best guy," and so we got to make sure we have all the best guys here. And they're not above tweaking these things on a year-to-year basis. Heck, the U.S. Open made basically a rule that should be called the Taylor Gooch rule in order to exclude him from the U.S. Open last year. So they're not above... It's not like these are these criteria that have been set in stone for decades and it's some old stuffy golf, what have you. This is something that they're clearly open to tweaking and altering, and it should be in their best interest. But at the end of the day, the ranking points thing is still going to be a stick in Liv's Craw because they have a lot of things to sort out in order to get there. And I guess that just leaves it up to the question of, will there be these exemptions? Yeah, and just to be clear, both of you guys have reflected this. There's absolutely nothing prohibiting any of the majors from creating whatever criteria they want on whatever basis, on whatever time frame. If they elect to invite these live golfers and they can come up with whatever you know qualification, uh, you know quality of of play level they want. There's nothing impeding any of them. The the RNA can do it. The PGA of America can do it. The USGA can do it. The Green Jackets can do it. And they could do it next week. And they could all say, you know, if you've won a major before, now like you know Patrick Reed and Dustin Johnson are in the Masters every year because they've won the green jackets. But you know, if, if, if the other 
um, uh, events want to grab somebody like a, a Taylor Gooch or an up-and-coming player like a Joaquin Neiman or Mito Pereira, you can easily come up with the qualification criteria, look at something that occurred over the past five years and, and narrowly define it to grab those guys. There's not nothing, nothing legal, nothing, you know, it, it, but, but the point is for the entertainment product, we want it. That's what we want. That's all that we care about. We want to see the best guys play against each other. And we've seen some other folks like data golf, like sports illustrated, try and come up with these parallel kind of r- ranking systems ranking metrics that that capture some of the live stuff i i barely care about it it's true that we are in this weird position because the owgr was the um state of the art you know measuring stick and it was a perfectly fine way of of capturing the best players over a two-year rolling period and and if if it's true that as phil mickelson says that there's part of the the tv contracts you know are, are driven by the quality of of you know fields as measured by OWGR participation, okay, uh, you know we ought to be able to figure it out. But Andrew, the real question is, are the is the PGA Tour and the Live Tour going to figure happening. figure this deal out? Is is there going to be a deal? Um, it's oddly quiet, right? And I think one of the things that has become clear very much in the last months ever since the framework agreement is the framework agreement there was such a frenzy everyone including me was like holy crap what the heck is happening and then as the dust settled maybe it took a couple days but maybe a week and then it's like oh they didn't really agree to much they agreed to try and agree on something that's it they settled they agreed to stop suing each other that was the agreement the agreement is we're gonna stop suing the daylights out of each other that's all and that was a huge win for both of them. I mean, that lawsuit was the biggest game of chicken I've ever seen. They both desperately wanted out of it and just kept driving towards each other. And they were both probably just going to ram into each other and it end up a complete disaster for both sides. But so they're both thrilled to be out of that. And now that they are, there's probably less of an incentive to make a deal. But there's so much for them to figure out. And money's not even necessarily the hardest part of it. And that is the strange thing. There is just so many thorny questions beyond money, including what's the pathway for live players back onto the tour? What does any potential financial punishment look like? Is there any way to compensate the Rory McIlroy's of the world? Which is a question that gets some eye rolls on one side, but also it's something that the players have to be thinking about. And then one thing that's been made clear by that, that framework agreement is that no matter what happens, the PIF still wants team golf in some form to be part of this future, whether that is through Live itself or through reviving other team events or in- integrating team events into the tour calendar and figuring out how many of those, when they happen, who's participating. That's not an easy thing either. And oh, there's also this launch of this Tiger Rory Golf League that we have no idea what it's going to look like happening in January. So there's just so many moving parts all against the backdrop that even if they do agree to something, the DOJ could nix it all. Well, I think the DOJ is paying very, very close attention at this point, which is why there were some murmurs about other potential interested parties, including Endeavor and a few others. What's the latest that you're hearing about potential other funding sources? Is it just gone quiet since there were those leaks during the Ryder Cup or... 
Is there anything else that that would indicate that that Monaghan and the tour have looked for a second suitor? Because that's really how you would get leverage in that negotiation with the Saudis, correct? That's definitely how you'd get leverage. And what I'd say is I don't know for no, nothing certain enough to share here, but I think there's probably some angst that other suitors weren't contacted and engaged with previously. And I think you saw that question asked on Capitol Hill when the PGA Tour execs were called up and they asked, did you look into other suitors? But it's also this very strange thing because a traditional investor would need a very clear plan and path for them to earn good on their money. The financial equation is so much different when it's PIF investing, not just because they have such an extraordinary amount of money. I mean, that's a big part of it. But they also see alternative halo effects, potentially, from being involved in this game and involving whether it's their their sponsor or like we've seen with the Ramco series or what have you. It may not all about be about money to the party that has the most money. Yeah. And so we're not working on a level playing field here. No, and, and now now we've got the sprinkled in fairy dust of a awful tragedy and a geopolitical incident that, you know, some are suggesting was, you know, triggered to as a response to a potential Saudi recognition of Israel. I mean, there is so much at play now in this deal, given that you know, the underpinning of it for the PIF was access and recognition and to be in the room where it happens and a very smart strategy for for any business in that in, in that situation but when you layer in the geopolitical considerations i think it's gotten even more complicated over the past month i don't think there's any doubt about that and part of me also wonders if both because of that or just because there's so many different things to figure out if maybe we see an extension on this end of year deadline because at the end of the day, that's kind of an arbitrary deadline. But my biggest takeaway is that no matter what happens with this deal or not over the next couple months, is that golf for at least pretty much the next year figures to look pretty much the same, given that we, even once there's a deal done, if it gets done, a DOJ review takes many months, potentially years. Live Golf, by all indications, is gearing up for a 2024 season. So it's not like we're seeing it shuttered if it gets shuttered immediately. And it's not as if we definitely see a way that if there's a deal, the guys are coming back immediately. So what we're talking about isn't just going to change when we flip the calendars. What we're talking about is a horizon that extends into 2025 and 2026. Yeah, I, I totally agree with, with that. I mean, I, I was going to pose to you the question, would you be surprised if they announced a new deadline that was 1231-2024? Because it, 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 it's really not even a reasonable amount of time, a full calendar year to sort out you know, a, a lot of the big moving pieces. And if, if the antitrust element of this is going to be um, a, a, a literal deal breaker, then other money coming in is one way to defease that, that, that risk. And if the, the tour has genuine interest from other, you know, potential investors, then there is a mechanism by which, you know, uh, potentially everybody could come together. But I honestly, it's already, it's, it's, it's October the 24th. 
it's going to look the exact same next year. We're going to have the same, you know, there's, there's like slight tweaks to the PGA tour schedule and live is going to do its thing. And it must be the case, Andrew, that the Saudis, well, maybe this is a question. I'll put it to you in the form of the question uh, of a question. Can they live with another year? Like what they just had, are they willing to spend the money for another year? Like what they just had of nobody watching the product, the product being, as an entertainment vehicle, like not that entertaining. making $35 million. Yeah. It's their money. It's their decision to make. Will, are they comfortable running it back for a whole, a whole nother year? I think one of the things that's interesting is in some sense, a lot of the money has already been spent, right? I mean, when they sign these players to contracts, in most cases for the big names, these weren't one year deals. So when you paid exorbitant sums of money to the Phil Mickelsons and Dustin Johnsons and Brooks Kepkas and Bryson DeChambeau's and Cameron Smith's of the world, they have a huge amount of money that's already been committed. And so, yes, there's the outrageous amount of prize money at tournaments and the cost of putting on tournaments, but a lot of that money has been spent. And I think one of the things that's interesting to me is I think in order to possibly satisfy the DOJ, and this is me pretending to be a lawyer, and I'm not a lawyer, I've just covered this. <laughs> Disclaimer. Um, but it would also probably look bad from an antitrust perspective if you're talking about doing a deal with your biggest rival, which is already a big red flag, and then you just close the tent of one of them. And so there's probably some interest in it if they are trying to satisfy regulators to keep the show going because you don't want to look like someone who lived had accused of being a monopolist then squashes its chief rival. But wouldn't it be live its own self squashing it? Like, you know, the, the you made the observation, very sound and salient observation, that part of the appeal for the Saudis was the halo effect. Nathan and I have been arguing uh, vociferously that it is an entirely halo effect. It is all halo effect. There is no other value to the Saudis of putting on these nonsense golf exhibitions other than, you know, entering the Western world as a potential sort of entertainment vehicle it's it would be uh, it, under my way of, of viewing it the saudi saying good golly you know uh we've put they probably put three billion in by now right for the first 18 months of player contracts and all of the run, startup money to get into these play they're paying trump five million bucks per venue like that they ain't doing that no more but like you know all, all of that startup Cost they have to look at themselves hard in the mirror and say, "Can we live with another um, year of this kind of money outflow? Is the is the is the juice worth the squeeze?" And that if they make the the election to 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 like ramp it down considerably, or maybe you know six worldwide events or something, they have the guys under contract, and you know by golly, try and make something of it. But if it's their their decision, doesn't that doesn't really impact the antitrust element, does it? I think it, that could depend on if the deal gets done. But I I, th I see this as they've committed enough money; they have the players under contract. To me, my gut instinct says this lasts another year at minimum, and then we're starting to look again at twenty twenty five as for all right is this thing going to still exist then? Because, I mean, the tour executives since then have made it clear that they're not certain what the, how Liv will fit into a picture if they were actual partners. 
But given that we don't know if they will become actual partners vis-a-vis either the deal or the Justice Department for probably until at least a year from today, I think you probably see this happen for at least 2024. Maybe it's scaled back, who knows? But you know, they just hired a new COO this week. And Is that so, their third or their fourth? It's it's sometimes hard to lose count with all the churn over <laughs> there. <laughs> but I don't think you're doing that if you're planning on closing shop on January right. 1. Right. Agreed. Well, we're going to find out, aren't we, House? I mean, that's it. It's all jump ball. I honestly just, you know, the, the experience of listening to Andrew speak and then looking down at, on my computer and seeing the date. It's like, oh, this is the way we're we're doing this. We're, we're running the whole thing back next year. There, there's no way to get any of these large moving pieces um, resolved in, in a manner that's going to create an opportunity for them to compete in any way that's different from the way that professional golf was just competed in all of, of 23. The tour has a fully baked, fully mature schedule. It has all the sponsors lined up that it wants to have lined up. And they can have these continuing conversations with folks like the Endeavors of the world about additional you know, kind of investment. They do have to solve that problem they created for themselves of gigantic purses, purses that rival the live purses. They got to come up with that money somewhere um, because they had that international rights deal fall through the deal that the, where they sold, you know, um, international streaming rights uh, and, and discovery time Warner said, uh, thanks, but no thanks to, to that thing. So the money's got to come from somewhere. Uh, I bet they, they continue to, to talk deals. A- Andrew, what give us one, forecast for for 2024 look into your crystal ball and give us one sort of read on the situation that that you you think is is likely to come to pass i really like nate's idea of introducing some sponsors exemptions for the majors and listen this is the green jackets at augusta national they could create a rule saying the best two giraffes in the world at golf could be playing in the masters at 2023 they can do whatever they want and nobody's going to stop them and the majors are fortunate in one way in that most of the top live players have some sort of exemption for now. And honestly, the biggest one of those is Phil having miraculously won a PGA championship at age 50. So he gets to still keep playing all of them beyond the masters, whereas where he's in for life. But so most of the top players are playing, but if major, if Taylor Gooch wins a PGA championship next year, are any of us surprised? No, none of us are. And so, for those players, the the players who are probably closer to 15 to 30 in the world, not the 1 to 15, or even the big names like Bryson DeChambeau, who maybe you know could fluctuate in the rankings because he's so wildly inconsistent, but create those exemptions. It's the majors. We should be seeing all the guys. I love it. I, I, I totally agree with that. Nathan, what's your forecast for 2024? Complete chaos. And malaise, <laughs> complete chaos and malaise. Those, I, I, I mean, look, that, that's, that's, uh, we're in unanimous agreement once again. Uh, shocker here on on the fairway rolling. Well, Andrew, you have a standing invitation. As this thing continues to de- to develop, we need your insights, your continued uh, um, breaking news stories along the way. We'll be paying attention. Thanks for coming on and joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. And there we have it, my Eagle enthusiasts, my par-saving pals, my birdie buddies. Another edition of Fairway Rolling in the books. Our thanks to 
our producer, Eduardo Campar. Thanks to Andrew Beaton coming from the Wall Street Journal and joining us. It is fall golf. The leaf rule is in effect, which means just put your ball down around where you think you, you, it, it should have been. And by all means, please, let's all try and hit them straight out there. <laughs> <laughs>